Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Each week we discuss one of the 54 portions called in Hebrew parashah that are read in the synagogue on a weekly basis. The entire Torah is completed once per year, which works out to approximately one Torah portion per year. Um, There are 54 weekly portions, but only 50 or 51 Shabbatot in a year. In addition, there are at least two, and sometimes as many as four or five times, when Shabbat falls on a holiday, and normally the weekly portion is not read that week. Uh, In order to reconcile the calendar and the Torah reading, Some years, uh, there is what is called a leap year, uh, in which the extra portions fill the extra month. And in non-leap years, there is a doubling of Torah portions. This week, in synagogues throughout the world, the Torah portion is known as Yitro. In English, that would be Jethro, and it refers to Moses' father-in-law. There are six portions in the Torah that are named after central characters. Some of them may be well known to you. Noah, as in Noah, Chaye Sarah, the portion uh, concerning Sarah, Abraham's wife, Yitro, which is this week's Torah portion beginning in Exodus 18, Korach, Balak, and Pinchas, of which when we reach those portions later in the year, we'll have more to say. Let me give you an overview of the portion that we're about to chat. Moses and father-in-law Jethro hears of the great miracles which God performed for the people of Israel and comes from Midian to the Israelite camp, bringing with him Moses' wife, Zipporah, and two sons. Jethro then advises Moses to appoint a hierarchy of magistrates and judges to assist him in the task of governing and administering justice to the people of Israel. The Torah portion continues and tells us that the children of Israel camp opposite Mount Sinai, where they are told that God has chosen them to be his Malachat Kohanim, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The people respond by saying, all that God has spoken, we shall do. According to Jewish tradition, on the sixth day of the third month of the Hebrew calendar, Sivan, seven weeks after leaving Egypt, The entire nation of Israel assembles at the foot of Mount Sinai for the giving of the Aseret Hadibrot, what we call the Ten Commandments. God descends on the mountain amidst thunder, lightnings, billows of smoke, and the blast of shofar, 
and summons Moses to ascend. And according to the Torah, God proclaims, as I've said, the Aserita de Brot, which we translate in English as the Ten Commandments, commanding the Israelites to believe in God, not to worship idols, not to take God's name in vain, to keep the Shabbat, honor their parents, not to murder, not to commit adultery, not to steal, and not to bear false witness or cover another's property. The people cry out to Moses that the revelation is too intense for them to bear, begging Moses to receive the Torah from God and convey it to them rather than hearing it directly from God. It is, of course, one of the preeminent Torah portions, and the Aserita Debrot, the Ten Commandments, have become the foundation of Western monotheistic religion. With me this morning to discuss this Torah portion is Rabbi Bradley Bleefeld. Rabbi Bleefeld is a graduate of the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion in Cincinnati, Ohio, has a postgraduate degree in Jewish history from The Ohio State University. Rabbi Bleefeld has served as congregational rabbi at some of the more important congregations in America, serving as senior rabbi of Congregation Knesset Israel in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Temple Israel of Columbus, Ohio, and is now the rabbi of Temple Beth Hillel of Carmel Vineland, New Jersey. He has been a professor of religion at Capital University and an associate professor of religious studies at Allegheny College in Pennsylvania and an associate professor of history at the University of Baltimore in Baltimore, Maryland. And some of you may remember the Chautauqua Institute, that gathering, an interfaith gathering in Chautauqua, New York, where individuals of uh, skill uh, have offered uh, their perspective on topics of religion, and he has been a guest lecturer there. I welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, Rabbi Bradley Bleefeld. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for inviting me once again, Rabbi Garten, my beloved classmate and uh, friend for uh, decades. We have been uh, studying together and uh, enjoying the rabbinate together over all this time, and I appreciate the opportunity to share some thoughts with you today. Well, it is always a pleasure to reconnect with classmates and for those who have shared uh, nearly 50 years of teaching Torah both to the Jewish community and to our uh, non-Jewish neighbors in North America. Uh, Rabbi, this morning's Torah portion is a seminal portion for so many uh, Jews and non-Jews alike, in which we're introduced to the uh, Ten Commandments. So let's begin there, and if time allows, we can go to some of the ancillary 
sections of the Torah portion. Um, how do you interpret this very important uh, statement of, um, well, what are they? Let's begin there. What are these statements? From my perspective and my uh, research into the biblical text, I find that the Ten Commandments addresses the greatest challenge humanity faces. In ten statements, we have a blueprint, not only of all the commandments, the 613 commandments, the entire Torah, also the entire biblical text, and the blueprint for all of Judaism. Why? Because the Ten Commandments addresses that greatest challenge. How do I recognize my worth and the worth of all humanity? People often try to divide the commandments in different ways. Eben Ezra, the 11th century Talmudic scholar, gave us, I, I think, the best description. The first three commandments, I am the Lord, you should have no others, no graven image, and don't take the name of the Lord in vain. It's all about recognizing a greater power than your own. That unifying power in the universe. Commandments 4 and 5, remember the Sabbath and honor your father and mother, address the issue of who I am and what I am, and allows me to develop a sense of self-respect. Commandments 6 through 10 provide me with the answer to the question, and how should I behave? Because 6 through 10, regarding murder and adultery, theft, lying, and jealousy, teach me to have respect for all other human beings. And so for me, the Ten Commandments, though given to Moses and the Hebrew community as they came out of bondage from Egypt is a universal document. It's a universal statement for all humanity, saying in effect, we're all the same. We all have the same challenges, the same difficulties. We're all the same in so many ways. And so, how should we, human beings, how should we think, how should we speak, and how should we act? That's what is addressed by these very direct ten pronouncements. The, the pronouncements, um, and as you've indicated, the Hebrew text doesn't call them commandments, um, the Hebrew translates as statements or sayings, um, but certainly over time they have um, become noted as commandments, um, seem to present themselves in a very particularistic way. God speaking uh, about uh, to the Israelite people, but you've reframed them 
to be universal. Um, how is it that this wonderfully particularistic document has morphed into something that was seen uh, as universal? Well, I believe that the original intent was to make it a universal statement. Because if we put these 10 pronouncements, commandments, quote unquote, into the context of what was going on at the time, according to the biblical text, the Hebrews had just come out of Egypt and 430 years of bondage. They're in a desert. They're on their way to a promised land. Taken that as reality, or taken that as metaphor, they're going from slavery to freedom, from bondage to redemption. And the wilderness, where the Ten Commandments are offered, is the transition. Because for me, my view of the condition of humanity is that we are all always in transition. We're all going from who we were to what we wish to be. And in this transition period that we all find ourselves, every human being, every man, every woman, every child, no matter what the faith, no matter what the belief or no belief, we're all in transition. The wilderness represents that state of being in transition. And there, when we question, who am I? How, how should I speak to myself, to my own fears, hopes, and dreams? How should I speak to other people? How should I behave? How should I treat myself? How should I treat others? We all ask these questions, people who who have faith or no faith, but people who think about who they are and what they are and how they can be better. We all ask ourselves, how can I be better? How can I go from whatever has been kept me in slavery to a sense of greater freedom and goodness? The Ten Commandments, if we dissect these statements, gives us that outline. Interestingly enough, your understanding of the universality of the text fits with what many of my guests have suggested is the aftermath of the um, challenges between um, Pharaoh and the God of the Israelites, Pharaoh being the particularistic God of Egypt, and in fact uh, being the God of this earth, and Adonai, uh, the God of the Israelites, being the universal God who uh, identifies himself to the Israelites, but throughout the text doesn't in any way suggest that um, this God is limited to the Israelites. So 
I find your interpretation fits very much with what uh, so many others have suggested about that tension between Pharaoh and God that precedes the standing at Sinai. Um, in, in the context of how you offer these Ten Commandments, um, the only particularistic um, aspect of it is the commandment that says, I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. Is that one of the commandments, or is that just a definition of who Adonai is? I like to see it as one of the ten pronouncements, establishing a sense that there is a greater power in the universe than you, than me, than any of us. And recognizing this, we should never, no human being should ever live with a sense that they are, quote-unquote, all-powerful. Because there is an all-powerful power in the universe, however you wish to define it, whether you're a person of faith or not. And that power not only took, in a particular sense, the Hebrews out of Egypt, but can take every human being out of the prison in which they find themselves, because every person is in some prison or other. So you see these, if I hear you correctly, not as primarily a legal statement, but as testimony to the power of faith. Would that be reading what you say correctly? What I feel is that whether you're a person of faith or not, to approach each day with a sense that there is a greater power in the universe that unifies, quote-unquote, the universe, the power of creation, the power of life. That power unifies all creation. Now, whether you're Jewish or not, whether you have faith or not, the beauty of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Pronouncements for me, is that when we ask the question, how should I live as a human being during the course of my lifetime? Whether you believe in a power that's called God or not or whatever, how should I behave? I should behave with a sense of respect to the unifying power in the universe. I should behave with a sense of respect for myself, and I should behave with a sense of respect for all other human beings. And these very direct ten commandments, ten pronouncements, is that blueprint when we ask ourselves, how should I be to myself, others around me, the universe? I must approach who I am and what I am in relation to these three elements, myself, others, and the universe. I must approach it with a sense of respect, 
and goodness. Therefore, murder, any physical harm, no. Adultery, awful harm. Theft, false witness, speaking lies, being jealous of what my neighbor has. No. Why? Because I want to live with a sense of respect for every other human being. And I can't do that unless I respect myself. So be aware of and honor what my parents have done for me, given to me. I am their children, and I respect that in me. And the Sabbath, I respect myself by giving myself a day of rest. No matter what faith you may or may not have, respect yourself with a sense of one day in seven for rest. And that all emanates from that power in the universe that is greater than any one of us, greater than all of us that allowed this universe to come into being. Whether you're a person of faith or a person of science or both, we struggle in the hopes of finding and discovering is there this unifying power that makes all humanity one? Because and, good, and good people believe that. Well, some people do believe that, and we would hope that more people believe that. But often the Aserata de Brot, the 10 statements, which, as you so lovingly have said, can act as a unifier, um, serve to divide people uh, as if, unlike your lovely interpretation of it, um, there is a different interpretation of it, that um, individuals claim it. Uh, claim that it has only one interpretation, and that interpretation excludes one group from another group. Um, how does that uh, hold in your sense of what the initial intentionality was of this uh, very powerful statement? You and I, as um, students, of our teachers, of the great rabbis, you and I as rabbis, and every other rabbi, understands that the biblical text exists on multiple levels. Yes, it certainly exists on the most superficial of levels, the direct. What you read in black and white is what you got. But we also know that there are levels beneath. And as one excavates, as one does the archaeology of the biblical text, one uncovers layers of meaning. And so for those who only see one layer, perhaps the most obvious, and they're content with that, that's there. That's for them. But there are those of us who probe and who wish to probe the text to look for deeper meaning, to look for what is not so obvious in the first reading in black and white. What is really trying to be taught to, to different levels of meaning and understanding? So for me, 
Sure, one can say there's only one meaning, meaning, and and it is black and white. And if you're content with that, that's fine. But for me, for me, I wish to look beyond. I wish to look for the deepest meanings the text can have. And so for me, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Pronouncements exist on multiple levels. I mean, I suppose it's true that what separates uh, great writing, whether it's secular or religious, is the ability to understand it on many levels. That uh, Torah is a document that is accessible to children um, and reaches children with some of its wonderful stories uh, that even on the Peshat, the literal level, captivate them. But on other levels, um, there is a deeper meaning that allows the Torah to transcend its historical uh, situation. If we simply think about it as a document written over 2,000 years ago, we might be willing to uh, marginalize it uh, and say, what does a document written 2,000 years ago have to say to me? And certainly uh, not comparing Torah to Shakespeare, but there are so many people today who think that the works of Shakespeare have um, outlived their usefulness because they were written um, many centuries ago and reflect a different uh, vision of the world, and yet we can read Shakespeare on so many levels and see within um, that brilliance of the writer um, that is not limited by time or place. Uh, I'm fascinated by your interpretation, but I want to end our conversation, if we can, by one other question, and that is, um, the Israelites say to Moses, these Ten Commandments, the voice of God is too much for us. You, Moses, go up and get the, the document and be our intermediary. Do you have a sense, as you have taught over these past 50 years, why the Israelites thought this document was too much for them? There's no question in my mind, that whenever you address a group of people and, and uh, offer them the possibility of hearing multiple precepts, multiple laws, multiple ideas, multiple concepts, that taken as a collective whole, the response is, oh my goodness, how in the world am I ever going to Deal with this. Remember this. Uh, confront this. Uh, apply it in my life. It's overwhelming. I need someone to help me make sense of all of this. Because many of us don't have the time and the effort or the inclination or the ability to handle vast concepts ideas, 
precepts and laws. So in, in every grouping, a group would look to someone to say, can you explain this to me in simple terms? Can you help me understand this, assimilate this? Help me to utilize this in my life? We, we have a, a term in Jewish tradition, the metergamon, the, the translator, the intermediary, the one who hears and then explains. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave you as the metergamon this morning, having offered us um, great insight into one of the seminal texts of our Torah and of the Western world. My guest this morning has been Rabbi uh, Bradley Bleefeld. I want to thank him for joining me. You can find a podcast of our show, this morning's show on iTunes or on the chri.ca website. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you a good day and shalom. Shalom.